0: The absurdity of intellectual property in a capitalist society is on full display as pharmaceutical giants keep desperately needed life saving knowledge related to the production of coronavirus vaccine a secret. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality, there's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolff join us again for a regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class and the crimes of big business. We also talk about how the economy could be reconstituted on a new basis so that the needs of the people and the planet come before profit. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. It's now available in an e-book format. You can check out Professor Wolf's work at rdwolf.com. That's r d w o l f Richard Wolf, welcome back.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Thank you for joining. Here we are. 45 million people around the world have been infected with COVID. We have a half a million dead in the United States, staggering numbers, unbelievable numbers, and a couple thousand dying each day. And this is after we're being told with sort of optimistic headlines that, you know, things are getting better things have constantly been getting better, it seems, uh, for the last year as a half a million people died. And I'm looking at two different stories. One was a story that came from a couple days ago. Countries urge drug companies to share vaccine know-how. And then there's another article, breaking news, that Merck, a pharmaceutical giant, corporate pharmaceutical giant that failed to make Uh, Its own vaccine is now going to partner with another vaccine manufacturer, which is being heralded by the Biden administration as something really extraordinary that two competing companies could actually work together to produce vaccine at a time when a half a million Americans have died. Anyway, let's talk about so called intellectual property rights, what they mean for production, what they mean for society, what they mean for democracy the trend towards monopoly. Help us get started.
1: Okay. Many, many years ago, when capitalism was still in its relative infancy, the capitalists got together and put pressure on lawmakers, as they have always done, to fashion a system of laws that was suitable for, supportive of, a profit-making capitalist enterprise. And one of the things they did was to develop the system we now call patents, trademarks, copyrights. Basically what this means is that the government protects a capitalist who comes up with a new product or a new way of doing things by saying that nobody else can get the information, nobody else can copy what the uh, first one did, Unless the first one agrees, and you have a certain number of years, 7, 15, it varies, during which, in effect, the one who starts has a monopoly. And the one who starts can deny permission to anybody else, unless they're paid enough money to give their permission. And if there's enough money in it, if this new product or this new technology is profitable enough, then the one who starts and gets it first is able to deny anybody else entry. Nobody else can become a competitor. And you can see, of course, where that goes in terms of medicine. If you have the right to patent a vaccine, for example, for the coronavirus, for example, you can deny Other drug companies who have the factories, who have the equipment, who have everything except the specific information or the formula, if you like, for making the vaccine, you can deny that to them. Uh, Well, as of the middle of February of 2021, according to most sources, Roughly 130 countries, that's a majority of the countries around the world, with a total population of about 2.5 billion, that's roughly a third of the world's people, had not had a single vaccination as of the middle of February, even though there had been millions of vaccinations here in the United States and in a bunch of other usually rich countries. What's going on here is very simple. Tax money was used to help develop in the hands of big corporate pharmaceuticals these vaccines. But they want to make a lot of money, not only by getting subsidies from governments like the United States, but also by cashing in on being early in the process because they got government tax-supported subsidies by taking advantage of these laws governing patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And so, in effect, companies that could have been producing these vaccines for many, many weeks now, making them available, particularly in countries that are poorer and haven't been able to afford the high price of vaccines to this point, we are effectively denying them. And I need, just as a human being, not as a professional economist, to say something about this. First of all, the morality of this is mind destroying. As far as I know, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Judaism or Confucianism or any other major religion, you do not limit life-saving medicine to the people who have the most money to pay for it. Nowhere written is this an acceptable moral or ethical activity if you are a member of the human race. And there really is nothing more that needs or ought need to be said about that, but it is also medically stupid and self-destructive. This is a very old problem. There have been illnesses and plagues and viruses and bacterias and fungal infections over the decades, over the centuries. Rich people want to get taken care of first, but it's stupid because if you don't take care of everybody, then the poor who keep getting sick reinfect the rich who took care of getting that shot or that medication or that doctor's attention. It doesn't work. We are all connected in the air we breathe, the water we use, the streets we walk on the playgrounds where our children play, and if we don't take care of everybody, it will come back to haunt us. The people that are not getting vaccinated are there for a laboratory right now. For example, the vast bulk of Africa, no vaccines. Not at all to this point. That's therefore a breeding ground for mutations of this disease to happen. Those mutations will spread. They are already spreading here in the United States. So it's a kind of capitalist horror in which you take care of the richest first. That's how the market works when things are scarce, in this case, artificially because of patents. You can charge a lot of money, and what that does is frees out the people who can't afford it. The disease becomes rampant there, eventually spreads back to the rich people. The absurdity of capitalism has never been more on display.
0: Very, very important points, Professor Wolf, and there's so many different angles to this issue. It's both the irrationality from the point of view of public health, the cruelty the class character of this in terms of treatment. There's so many different sides to it. And I want to explore as many of those sides as we possibly can, because it kind of gets to the heart of what's wrong. What's wrong with a system that has vast productive capacity such that you can produce multiple vaccines in a short amount of time, certainly by historic standards, and yet the inability to deliver or the unwillingness to deliver based on profit and some of the other competitive elements of capitalism prove it's both absurdity, it's irrationality, and as you said, it's cruelty, it's immorality. One of the issues that jumps out first and foremost is the, the whole idea of intellectual property. When you think about a drug, a vaccine, Or any component element of it. And you could say this about any other good that's provided in society. Let's call it a commodity, something that's produced for sale. It includes in it components that come from all over the world and the labor of people who work in all different places in the world. So, modern industry, modern science, if it was, say, headquartered in the United States but cut off. From Africa or Latin America or the Middle East or Asia, it wouldn't have the necessary inputs to actually produce that which we take for granted in an industrial society. And that goes for pharmaceutical goods. So the idea that someone could be claiming the end product as their property and thus they can determine what to do with it, what price to set for it, when in fact, every commodity, including drugs, including vaccines, are really the product of an international division of labor, without which this couldn't happen, and also based on social labor, not individual. I mean, the scientist could have the greatest ideas in the world, but how does he or she get all of that which is necessary to produce the product? That's the outcome of social, a social process, social labor. So again, the idea of private ownership under the the label of intellectual property rights, where you really can't separate an intellectual product from any other product because they're interdependent.
1: Yeah, it applies to all the inputs, the way you say it, but it also applies to the so-called intellectual effort, or if you like, or even the entrepreneurial or business effort. The people who make a big corporation, they're not the people who alone account for whatever success they have, what about all the people who were teachers of theirs through 20, 30, 40 years of education, through their colleagues, through the magazines they read, through the journals they perused, through the scientific conferences where they were given key ideas that were crucial? None of the people along the way participates in the big profit at the end of the process, And that means that the people who happen to be at the end get all of the profit into their hands as if they were the ones who made it all happen. But they didn't. They were the last step in a very long chain. And this system is very poor at rewarding all of the people whose many direct and indirect contributions made all this happen. You're quite right. It denies the social, historical, collective effort that goes into these things and allows a handful of people, relatively small number, at the end to cash in in some obscene way. That's why executives of these companies, the major shareholders, walk away with billions of dollars, and other people are scrambling to live off of their wage or salary incomes. That's an irrational way to do it. Let me make a point, though, because you're going to get pushback, and this is an important point to have in your mind if and when you do. The argument is made within capitalism that you have to give these monopolies to people who make whatever breakthrough uh, that gets patented or copyrighted or trademarked, because otherwise— There isn't the incentive, you see. People wouldn't make breakthroughs. They wouldn't make big discoveries unless you give them a big, fat profit reward for years. You know, this is a kind of fundamental insult. It's an insult, first of all, to the hundreds of generations, the thousands of generations of people over the millennia who made the breakthroughs. The mathematics we use today were developed in Egypt and other parts of the world many, many centuries ago. So were many of the insights that are basic to all science today. Those people didn't make those breakthroughs because they got a lot of profit out of it. They did it for lots of different reasons, just like the motivation of human beings is a very complicated thing. It's an insult to people to think that they wouldn't come up with ways of easing the pain of their fellow human beings. You can go through human history and see countless efforts of creative human beings figuring out that this plant Or that animal or this substance or this mechanism will help you alleviate a pain in your neck or an illness or an indigestion from something you ate. Science has been developing for a very very long time. It doesn't need to be given huge profits for many years. If someone makes a breakthrough, for example, and you think it's important, give them an award. Give them the celebration of their fellow human beings for having made an especially useful contribution. That's fine. We have prizes. We have awards. We even give some of them with cash attached. I'm thinking of the Nobel Prize that many people covet. But none of that involves vast billions of dollars given to a handful of people the way we do now. That last step That's a capitalist invention to give you the right to exclude other people so you can extort out of them vast sums of money made unavailable for social development because they're hoarded by the Jeffrey Bezos or the Warren Buffetts or the Bill Gates or the Elon Musks of our time. The price being paid in that, yeah, maybe you'll stimulate somebody who wouldn't have done a decent invention without getting billions. But the price you pay is to deny society all of the supports. With $200 billion collected by Mr. Bezos, that's money not going in to the mass education of our young people, which would have resulted in a lot more breakthroughs, large and small, than what we have now. But instead of using the money for what we need socially, we give it to private individuals as obscene profits. It's extraordinarily short-sighted, but it is intrinsic to capitalism. I
0: couldn't agree with you more. I also agree with the premise that while getting rich is certainly an incentivizer, the idea of intellectual property and secrecy The failure or refusal to share new intellectual discoveries is, in fact, a restraint. It's a fetter on production, and I think it's a greater fetter. And there's other elements of waste that are so profound when each company's chemists and engineers and scientists are working in secret would be badly punished if they shared those secrets that belong to the company. And the wastefulness of it, my, my father, this is anecdotal, but I grew up in Rochester, New York. My father was a bench chemist, research chemist, working on film for Eastman Kodak. And he was part of that original group working with, as a subcontract between Kodak and Polaroid, a separate company. And they discovered or invented instant film. They produced the first camera where you could take a picture and the photo was right there in front of you. And, you know, he along with his cohort of chemists had many multiple patents, but the patents didn't belong to them. They belonged to Eastman Kodak. Then at a certain point, Eastman Kodak and Polaroid went to war against each other over whose technology was this, the instant film technology. And so my father, who loved chemistry and loved being a bench chemist and was just a salaried employee, had no incentive for profit. He spent the last decade of his career basically as a trial witness between Polaroid and Kodak in a fight over whose patents belong to who. And as a consequence, he quit. He said, I didn't sign up for this. I want to be a chemist, not a testifier at trial. And vast amounts of resources are wasted in the competition between the different capitalist entities. This is just a small example of it. But the chemists were not eager and enthusiastic to to work because they were going to be rewarded with extra profits. They were excited because they were chemists.
1: Yeah, it's a, there are many, many examples. I remember when I was uh, teaching and studying at Yale University, talking with my friends in the natural sciences and discovering that there were contracts between Yale and private companies so that the... Uh, scientists working for the companies would work alongside the professors of that science at Yale, and there were very careful contracts written to share the uh, inventions and patents that came out of it so that Yale could get its hands on some of the profits that the companies and their scientists were generating. What no one wanted to face was the fact that, That when there's a lot of money involved, then the whole focus begins to be less what a university once was, which was to do research that could help the human race to learn more about the world, to learn more about how chemical and physical reactions, and it becomes much more how to make money. And so the science, and eventually what is taught in the classroom, is shaped by profitability and not the needs of an inquisitive mind trying to understand what the world is all about. Those are very different goals. Those are very different tasks, and they lead to different curriculums, different learning patterns, narrowness in your understanding, and so on. So that the social effects of all of this are the things that are ignored. It's as if the only result is somebody who makes a breakthrough gets a lot of money. No, no, no. That's part of it. But part of it is that lot of money is there for the private property of whoever can play this game rather than being available for society as a whole to use for all of the positive results it could have brought if it was used socially rather than grabbed privately. It, it's really like a person who's part of a community using a big field who suddenly says, no, this is my field, puts a fence around it. And now he's the only person. Is it lovely for that person to have the whole field to play in? Yes, it is. But you have to take into account the denial of access to that field and what it means to all the other people who now can't use it, who can't get the exercise they want, who can't plant the crops that they used to be able to plant and to harvest. All of the costs of this have to be taken into account. And the minute you do that, you begin to realize that the social costs and the coronavirus is a wonderful example, that the social costs in death, in disease, in the longevity of this disease, the social costs of not making these vaccines available to all the people who could be benefiting from them, besides the immorality, they are staggering in the present and into the future. And for what? For the greater profit of people who are the major shareholders of these pharmaceutical companies, let me assure you of a little statistic never to forget. 10% of Americans own 80% of the shares of the stock market. Those companies that are profiting the most, that's already the richest people becoming richer. To do that at the expense of vaccinating the mass of our populations across the continents, there is no rationale, neither in morality, nor in economics, nor in common sense. This is capitalist profiteering, and that's all it is.
0: Professor Wolf, as time is running down, I want to get to two more points. And they're not different points, they're the same points, but they're highlighted. And we see this element of capitalism, irrational and cruel at the same time. And it helps all of us understand the imperialist nature of modern capitalism. You know, we sort of think about imperialism with the drama of bombs bursting, like. Biden dropping bombs on Syrians last week or Trump doing that repeatedly during the Trump period or President Obama doing it during, well, every president doing it. You think of imperialism as bombs dropping. But there's another element of imperialism. And I want to read a couple paragraphs from AP and it's about COVID and it's about the vaccine. And it goes back to what you were addressing in the early part of this interview. Here it is. In an industrial neighborhood on the outskirts of Bangladesh's largest city, lies a factory with gleaming new equipment imported from Germany. Its immaculate hallways lined with hermetically sealed rooms. It is operating at just a quarter of its capacity. It is one of three factories that the Associated Press found on three continents whose owners say they could start producing... Hundreds of millions of COVID 19 vaccines on short notice, if only they had the blueprints and technical know how. But that knowledge belongs to the large pharmaceutical companies who have produced the first three vaccines authorized by countries, including Britain, the European Union, and the US Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca. The factories, this is 10 months later, are still awaiting responses. I mean, that's imperialism.
1: Yes, the imperialism of that mundane, daily sort has always been the worst. It's always been the money that could have been spent to build a dam that would provide fresh water, to produce and distribute the toilets large parts of populations in the world today do not have a system of toilets so that human and other kinds of waste are too close to populations and therefore are causes of disease etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean Those are the things that kill the large number of people by starvation, by illness, by suffering diseases for which we have very well known cures and so on. Those are much more devastating than the the military engagements which punctuate them from time to time. The United States proudly announces that they have three times the number of doses of our population. We have more than a billion doses of the vaccine. We have 325 million people. So we have enough to vaccinate everybody three times over while huge parts of the world haven't had a vaccine in the entire country. There is no excuse. You know, those who are critical of Trump, who said America first, ought to think about this regime now, Mr. Biden. He doesn't say America first. But in this regard, what is the difference? U.S. taxpayers funded this, but the idea that you can insulate yourself from the misery of this disease means you've forgotten how disease spreads, where this disease originated, where it can originate new strains again. I mean, I don't want to repeat myself, but this is not only cruel and immoral, the irrationality, the, the habit of behaving in this grotesque way is self-destructive and you know a system is coming to the end of its historical time when it shoots itself in the foot this way out of the sheer habit of pandering to profit and money that's when the system's irrationality becomes so obvious that even the people who would have otherwise supported it begin to question this really has gone one step too far
0: one step too far. We've talked in the past shows, Professor Wolf, about how billionaires' wealth has grown so dramatically in the last year during COVID. And we've talked about why. I'm looking, I'm going to switch off now of intellectual property. This is going to be our last question to you. It's something that's really astounding. And again, it's so revealing. Here's the headline. Again, everybody, remember, billionaires' wealth has gone up by a lot. Millions couldn't afford diapers before the pandemic. Now diaper banks can't keep up. Without federal aid, diaper banks struggle to keep up with skyrocketing need and fewer donations. Here's a couple sentences from the Washington Post, March 1st. Chelsea Presley is deeply familiar with the struggles of young families, first from her years as a social worker and now from running a nonprofit In one of Mississippi's poorest regions. She's used to questions about car seats, nursing, and colicky babies, but paying for diapers is always the chronic and most pressing worry. Quote I see parents not putting anything on their babies because they don't have diapers. I've seen people use shopping bags with some rags in it, I've seen t shirts, I've seen people keeping the diapers on longer than necessary and the diapers sag down when the babies walk. I mean, this is America. This is the richest country in the world. We're told that over and over again. We're told how exceptional it is. We know the billionaire's wealth is through the roof, and millions, and not not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, millions cannot afford diapers, and now they can't get diapers at diaper banks. It says, again, so much about this system, capitalism.
1: Yeah, it's the way we distribute wealth. We are in the middle of a pandemic. We hear our leaders tell us we're all in this together. We all have to pull our weight. Uh, The weight of a rich person like Mr. Bezos, and I don't mind picking on him, he certainly deserves it. The weight that he has to pull is the weight of his wealth, and we don't do it. We make the rich richer during this period of time. While we have 20 million people unemployed, and yes, they cannot afford the diaper, and even if they could afford the diaper, there's something else they can't afford. We have shrinking enrollments in our colleges. The future of the United States in the world economy depends on our educated labor force as much as anything else. We're undercutting that, loading the students up with debt, not relieving the debt, cutting the out of the schooling. I mean the level of irrationality is mind-blowing. Just as it was on display a week ago in Texas when we have companies that found it more profitable not to prepare for cold weather so that people couldn't have electricity or water or heat. The dysfunction of capitalism is exploding around us, and it has become now only a matter of time, and I don't think it's much time, before the general understanding that this system is exhausted, cannot function. Behaves in ways that are so anti humane that the very question of the systems continuing is coming on to the social agenda.
0: That was Professor Richard Wolf, the co founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He is the author of many books. The latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's r-d-w-o-l-f-f You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.